Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Matthew, and I serve as a student pastor here at our Brandon campus. Uh, and as you just saw, next week, Pastor Corey is kicking off a brand new teaching series uh, called Songs of Christmas. And uh, during this series, he's going to kind of look at the deeper meaning behind some of the most well-known Christmas songs and hymns. Uh, sorry to disappoint, but it won't be Rudolph and, and Frosty. Uh, not really where he, he's aiming with this. Uh, but during this series, there's going to be some really neat, uh, just kind of creative elements throughout the series. So I just want to encourage you to be here next week for the start of this series, to invite a friend. You're not going to want to miss it. Well, we are officially in the Christmas season. Uh, and unlike Jason, um, Christmas season for me began on Friday. I am one of those people, and it sounds like we have some others in here, I'm one of those people who actually appreciates and respects the pilgrims, <laughs> meaning that I don't neglect Thanksgiving. I don't treat it like that middle child uh, between Halloween and Christmas. I give it its proper attention, and for me, that means pretty much the entire month of November which means no Christmas music, no Christmas decorations until Thanksgiving is over. Do I have anybody in agreement with that? All right, some true Americans. Well, now that Thanksgiving is behind us, we are in full-blown Christmas mode. And if you're anything like me, decorations have started to come out. Maybe you pulled out the, the Christmas tree, you're getting the ornaments up. You might be doing some, some lights around the house. My wife is on me this year to get a big blow-up inflatable for our front yard. Um, she says it's for our daughter, but I really think it's, it's for her. Um, I'm sure your calendar is filling up with activities and parties and things you have to be at, you know, pretty much every night, every weekend in December, it feels like there, there's something going on. Uh, you're starting to, to purchase gifts for friends and family, hopefully you uh, took advantage of some Black Friday deals, got a little bit of a, a head start. You're probably thinking about some, some travel plans. Maybe you have some people who are coming to visit you. Uh, maybe you're going out of state to see some, some family, but it's just a, it's a busy time. It's an exciting time. It's a, it's a crazy time. But here's what I know. The Christmas season, the, the, the month of December, it has this unique ability to really highlight the season of life that we're in. It really has this ability to shine a light on our, on our life, on our, on our family, on our health, on our relationships, on, on our finances, and it really begins to almost intensify the, the emotions that are already there, the emotions that we're already experiencing there, they become intensified during the season. And if you're in a good season of life, well, typically it's even better during Christmas. But if you're in a tough season, it's often even more difficult. Whatever situation, whatever season that you're in, it's typically heightened, it's intensified during this time of the year. And in a room this size with, with this many people, I'm well aware that there is a wide range of different situations and seasons that people find themselves in. For some of you in this room, this is like a, a really good season of life right now. Your, your, your family's good, everyone's healthy, work is good, like life is just good right now. There's so many blessings and, and these next few weeks, you're, you're excited for it. But for some of you, this is, a, this is a challenging season. There might be some kind of family dysfunction going on. 
There might be a, a health challenge, a health crisis that, that you're facing. There may be some, some financial struggle. There may be some, some, some job uncertainty. This is just a, a difficult, a challenging season for you. But here's what we're going to see this morning. Is that every season provides a unique opportunity to encounter Jesus. Every single season, it provides this unique opportunity to encounter Jesus. The good seasons, the confusing seasons, the the difficult ones, the painful ones, every season provides this opportunity to encounter and to experience Jesus often in a brand new way, in a way that we never have before. So this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to look at a story found in Luke chapter 17. So if you have your Bibles, if you have your smartphone, you can go ahead and open up to Luke 17. Uh, this is a story that I've, I've known for many years, but a couple weeks ago, as I was just kind of going through, through my reading plan, I came across this story, and as I was praying about, okay, what am I going to preach about? Uh, I need some inspiration here. God just continued to bring me back to this passage over and over. And God has really used this this passage in the last few weeks to to be an encouragement to me, to to be a challenge to me. And my prayer, my hope is that God would do the same in your life this morning, that God would speak to you through this story found in Luke. So I'm going to read the passage all the way through, and then we're just going to spend a few minutes kind of unpacking it and looking at some takeaways uh, for, for our life. So Luke 17, starting in verse 11, it says this. While traveling to Jerusalem, Jesus, he passed between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, 10 men with leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and they raised their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he told them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And while they were going, they were cleansed. But one of them, seeing that he was healed, he returned and with a loud voice, he gave glory to God. He fell face down at his feet, thanking him, and he was a Samaritan. But then Jesus said, we're not ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Didn't any return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he told him, get up and go on your way, for your faith has saved you. So for the next few minutes, what I want us to do is to look at just three takeaways from from this story. And they all kind of revolve around this idea that every season, every situation, it provides an opportunity to encounter Jesus. So the first takeaway this morning is this, is that Jesus, he draws near to our mess. Jesus draws near to our mess. You know, in this story, we're introduced to these 10 men who were suffering from, from leprosy. And, and, and leprosy was one of the, the worst possible diseases that you could contract because it completely upended your life. I mean, obviously it was a disease that impacted you physically. It was this highly contagious skin disease that would scar and, and deform your body. And there was really no cure for it. Like if you got leprosy, chances are you're gonna be living with it for the rest of your life. It was this awful disease that impacted you physically. It also impacted people spiritually. People believed that leprosy was a curse from God because of sin. And if somebody had leprosy, other people assume, man, they must have done something wrong. They must have really messed up. They must have really sinned to deserve getting leprosy. 
And if somebody had leprosy, they weren't just to be considered unclean physically, they were unclean spiritually. They were no longer allowed to enter into the temple to worship. They were completely cut off from the religious community. It impacted them physically and impacted them spiritually. It also impacted them relationally. Those with leprosy, they couldn't live in town anymore. They couldn't live in their village. They had to go and live in this camp outside of town with other lepers. They were isolated from their family, from their friends, from pretty much all relationships in their life. And the only people that they could talk to, the only people they they could really come into contact with were other people suffering from leprosy. In fact, if they were approaching somebody or somebody was approaching them, they would have to shout unclean, unclean to warn people to not approach them. It was incredibly isolating and lonely. This was a disease that completely uh, uh, unraveled people's lives. It impacted every single aspect of their life. And these 10 men, they found themselves in what seemed to be a completely hopeless situation. Like there was no light at the end of the tunnel. There was no positive outcome in the future. They had pretty much accepted the fact that this is our lot in life. This is how we're going to spend the rest of our life suffering from this disease, separated from our family, cut off from the religious community. This is just what we have to deal with. But one day, Jesus walked by their village. Jesus walked by their their camp. And their painful season, their difficult season of life, it provided this opportunity to encounter Jesus, to experience Jesus in a truly unique way. Look again at what it says in verse 11. It says, while traveling to Jerusalem, Jesus passed between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered the village, the 10 men with leprosy, they met him. They stood at a distance. They they couldn't approach him, but they raised their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he told them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And while they were going, they were cleansed. Now, I want you to notice what their response was when they saw Jesus. When they see Jesus walking by, they call out for mercy. They beg him to to heal them. And the fact that this was their immediate response when they saw Jesus, to call out to him, to ask for his help, to ask for his healing, this tells me that Jesus had already developed a reputation. A reputation as someone who stepped into messy situations. In fact, the, the gospel of Luke, it really highlights, it emphasizes this, this truth for us. Back in chapter five, we read about how Jesus, he actually touched somebody who had leprosy in order to heal them. We see Jesus, he invites this notorious tax collector to come and to follow him, to be on his inner circle. And then he went and dined at his house later that day with his friends. In chapter seven, we see Jesus raise a widow's only son from the dead. We see Jesus allow a a prostitute to come and to anoint him with perfume. In chapter 8, he heals a a demon-possessed man, a man that other people were terrified of and would have never approached. Over and over, we see Jesus willingly and intentionally walk into the mess. He drew near to broken people and to hopeless situations. 
people in situations that others would pull away from, that others tried to ignore, that others tried to avoid, but Jesus got involved in their life. Jesus stepped into the, the, the most broken, the, the, the messiest parts, the most hopeless and painful parts of their life, and he met them right in the middle of their mess, right in the middle of their brokenness. And, and I just wondered this morning, man, do we allow Jesus to do that in our life? Do we allow Jesus into our mess into our brokenness. You know, whenever we find ourselves in, in a painful season or in, the, in an overwhelming situation, I, I think there's this tendency for many of us to almost try to keep Jesus at, at a distance, to, to, to push him away a bit, to keep him at arm's length. Sometimes because we're, we're embarrassed like the, the reason we're in the situation, the reason we're in the tough season is because of some, maybe some poor choices that we've made and we feel embarrassed about it. There's a sense of, of guilt and shame and we really just don't want God involved because of our embarrassment. Sometimes it's, it's because of our pride, this attitude of God, I've, I've got this. I can handle this. I can fix this. I can clean this up on my own. I, I don't need any help. Sometimes we begin to believe, man, I, I just don't know if God even cares. Sometimes we might think, you know, God, God can't even do anything to help. This situation is just too far gone. It's too messed up. It's too broken for God to do anything. But you see, it's in these moments, it's in these seasons, the times of, of brokenness and hopelessness, when we're tempted to push God away, when we're tempted to, to pull away from him, that God desires to draw near to us that God desires to step into our mess. Look what Psalm 34, 18 says. It says that the Lord is near. He's close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed, who are broken in spirit. You know, God's presence is often most evident in our most painful seasons. And listen, we, we don't serve a God who leaves us in our mess. A God who, who looks at us and says, hey, good luck cleaning it up. Good luck, luck fixing this. You're on your own. You caused this problem. You need to figure it out on your own. No, no, no. We serve a God who steps into our mess, who walks with us through it side by side, and who leads us to the other side. I mean, isn't that exactly what we, we celebrate at Christmas? That God left heaven that God took on flesh and stepped into our hopelessness, stepped into our mess, stepped into our brokenness and walked with us through it, led us to the other side. Jesus, he draws near to our mess. He draws near to our brokenness. And that's exactly what those lepers experienced that day. The second takeaway that we see is this, is that gratitude is the proper response to God's goodness. Gratitude, it's the, the proper response to God's goodness. These 10 men, they are healed of this awful disease. They, they experience a, a miracle in, in the truest sense of, of, of the word. And they go and they present themselves to the priest. This was kind of the, the customary practice in order to be declared clean. 
so that they could enter back into society. They could join the community. They could, they could be a part uh, of the town again. And these men, they have been given their life back. They, they've been restored. They have a second chance at life. They have a new future. It's this incredible moment for them. But listen to how one of them responds in verse 15. But one of them, seeing that he was healed, recognizing what God had, had done, he returned and with a loud voice gave glory to God. He fell face down at his feet, thanking him, and he was a Samaritan. One of the men, he is overcome with gratitude for what Jesus has done for him. And notice, rather than going and seeing his family and his friends, people he probably had not seen in years, rather than than going back into society, just continuing on with his life. Before any of that, first he went and he found Jesus. And he falls down at Jesus' feet and he begins to to thank him. It says that with a loud voice, he began to to give glory to God. He was completely overwhelmed with emotion. Like he, he could not contain it, he couldn't hold it in. Gratitude and thankfulness, they were just pouring out of him. And this emotional response, this response of gratitude, it was coming from the most unlikely source. It was coming from a Samaritan, a man who was a natural enemy of the Jews, a man who would have never associated with Jesus, but none of that mattered anymore. Because in this moment, he humbled himself before Jesus. And he expressed his thanks. He expressed his gratitude for what God had done in his life. And for him, there was no other proper response. Nothing else made sense. Because of what God had done for him, because of what Jesus had done, the only proper response was to go back and to express his gratitude. But listen to what Jesus says in verse 17. He says, we're not 10 cleansed. Where are the nine? Didn't any return to give glory to God except this foreigner? Jesus, he immediately points out that only one has come back to express gratitude. He's the only one out of the 10 that has returned to give glory to God. The rest, they just went on with their lives. They went back to their family. They went back to their jobs. They went back to society. They never thought to come back and to thank Jesus. And you know, it's easy to read this story. Like the first time I read it, you read it and you think like, what's wrong with these guys? I mean, they've, they've been healed of this awful disease. They've experienced a miracle. They've been given their life back and they can't even go back and say, thank you. Like not even a thank you card in the mail, not even a quick text to him to say, hey, I, I appreciate it. Like, like what is wrong with these guys? Talk about a bad attitude. Talk about being ungrateful. I would never respond like that. Of course, I would go back and say thank you. But you know, as I've, I've, as I've read this story and really reflected on it over the past couple of weeks, I've been so convicted of, of how often I'm just like those nine other guys. You know, I, I can't tell you how many times in my life I've, I've prayed for something for weeks, months, sometimes even, even years, a, a family situation, 
a, a work situation, a, a relational issue, just asking and begging, God, I need you to show up. I need you to intervene. I need you to get involved and to come through. And when he finally does, when he finally answers my prayer after spending months, maybe even years praying about it, I just move on to the next thing. I might give a quick, oh, hey, God, thanks. I appreciate it. But I receive God's blessing and I just carry on with my business as if nothing happened. And then a few months later, I'll find myself complaining about the very thing I had prayed for, about the very thing I had, I had asked for. You know, gratitude isn't typically my natural response to God's goodness. You know, if we, if we aren't careful, I think we can become just like those nine men and begin to develop an ungrateful heart. You know, in the, in the good seasons of life, we almost begin to feel entitled to God's goodness. Like we, we, we start to expect that God is going to just give us what we want. We start to assume this is how things are always gonna be. My family's always gonna be healthy. I'm always gonna have a great job. My family's always gonna be together. I'm not gonna have these problems. And we start to grow accustomed to God's goodness. We become very familiar with it. And that familiarity that we, we have, that, that, that just, you know, I'm, I'm taking this for granted, it begins to produce an ungrateful attitude an ungrateful heart, because we just assume this is how it's always gonna be. But then in the bad seasons, in the difficult seasons, it's, it's easy to lose sight of God's goodness. We're so focused on the situation that we're facing. We're so focused on, on the problem in our life that we completely lose sight of what God is doing all around us. We forget just how good God has been to us. We're so focused on the situation and instead we become, become, become bitter and frustrated because God isn't doing exactly what I need him to. God isn't answering my prayer exactly how I want him to and we develop this ungrateful attitude. But listen, regardless of the season or the situation that we find ourselves in, we need to develop, we need to cultivate a daily habit of gratitude. Like it almost needs to become a, a reflex for us. It needs to be our natural response to God's goodness in our life. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter five. He says, rejoice, how often? Always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in everything. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So how do we do this? How can gratitude become our natural response to God's goodness? I wanna give you just a, a few practical things that maybe help you with this. The first one is this. We just need to develop a greater awareness of God's goodness. Just a, just a greater awareness. And, and honestly, this shouldn't be too difficult. Like there's evidence of God's grace and God's goodness all around us. But I think at times we just need to take a step back and realize all that God is doing, to realize all the blessings we've received, to realize how good God has been to us. Sometimes we're so hyper-focused on one situation, one problem, that we completely lose sight of God's goodness in our life. 
We just need to begin to develop a greater awareness. Man, God has been good to me. God has blessed me. But we can't just stop there. We can't just be aware of it. We have to express it. Because unexpressed gratitude is not gratitude. It's not enough just for us to acknowledge in our mind, okay, I'm blessed. Okay, God has been good to me. We have to vocalize it. We have to communicate it. That means vocalizing it to God through prayer, actually like like speaking to God, thanking God specifically for his goodness, thanking God specifically for his blessings. And it means talking about it with other people, sharing with other people how God has been good to us, sharing with other people the blessings in our life. This should be a regular part of our prayer life, a regular part of our conversations, just expressing that gratitude as we become more and more aware of God's goodness. And then number three is this, we need to write it down. We need to write it down. Man, if you're anything like me, we, we are quick to forget. We're, we're quick to just move on to the next thing and completely forget what we prayed for, how God worked, and we just move on and we, we forget so easily. But writing things down and, and, and journaling, it's our way of capturing and storing God's goodness in just a tangible way. Now, I shared about this in a sermon last year, um, but in the beginning of 2020, I began the, the daily habit, the daily practice of, of journaling. I bought something called a, a five-year journal. Um, so you write from day one all the way to day 365, and then in year two, you start again and go day one to day 365, about four to six sentences, and you get to see exactly what you wrote on the same day the, the, the previous year what you were, you were facing, what you were struggling with, what you were praying for, how you were feeling, what you were going through. And now as I'm kind of wrapping up year two, and every day I, I have something to, to, to see from the previous year, this journal serves as a daily reminder of God's goodness in my life. As I look back on problems and situations that in the moment seem so big, so overwhelming, and to see how God has guided me through them, how God has answered prayer, how God has been good and gracious to me and my family. Now, if you're not in the habit of writing things down, if you're not in the habit of journaling, I just wanna encourage you to do that. And I know oftentimes you think, oh, that's what, what girls do. They get the Bibles with all the you know, doodling and all the colors. Listen, my handwriting is so bad that like, I wouldn't even be embarrassed if somebody found my journal because they wouldn't be able to read it. Like, guys, this is something that, that we need to do as well. We need to be writing down what we're thinking, how God's working. But just this simple daily practice, it takes two or three minutes. It serves as a reminder of God's goodness in our life. Gratitude, it should be our natural response to his goodness. And then finally, number three, our hope is tied to a person not an outcome. Our hope in this life, our hope for the future, it's tied to a person, not an outcome. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 19. He said, get up and go on your way, for your faith has saved you. Now, I want, I want you to notice here, 10 men were healed that day, but only one was saved. 
10 men were restored physically. They had their, their leprosy cured, but only one was transformed spiritually. And this man's ultimate healing, his ultimate salvation, it didn't come from the removal of his leprosy. It didn't come from his situation changing. It didn't come from a certain outcome. It came from his personal encounter with Jesus because his hope was not tied to the outcome. His hope was not tied to the physical healing. His hope was tied to Jesus. Listen, church family, we can't afford to tie our hope in life to an outcome. We can't tie it to a certain medical report from the doctor. We can't tie it to a certain job. We can't tie it to a certain relationship in our life because outcomes, they're uncertain and they're outside of our control. They're not promised, they're not guaranteed. And when we anchor, when we tie our hope to an outcome, to a result, our hope, it rises and falls based on the season of life that we're in, based on the situation that we're, we're, we're facing. Our hope, it has to be anchored, it has to be tied to something greater, to something that is certain and secure, to something that is eternal and unchanging. It can't be found in an outcome. It can't be found in a result. It has to be found in a person, and that person is Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't just have the ability to transform our situation, to transform the season of life that we're in. Jesus has the unique ability to transform our hearts, to transform our lives, to transform our eternity. You know, when, whenever we face a, a challenging season, a, a challenging situation, you know, I, I think oftentimes our, our natural reaction is to go into problem solving mode. At least I know that's, that's what I do. I, I, I try to figure out, okay, how can I fix this? How can, I, how can I get out of this? How can I manipulate and control the, the outcome and the result? And I become fixated on the outcome. Man, I need things to turn out this way. I need things to happen in, in a certain way. But here's what we need to understand. This is such a, a, it's a tough truth to accept, but such an important one for us to understand. God is more concerned with transforming your heart than your situation. God is more concerned with transforming your heart than getting you out of the painful season that you're in. Does God care about your, your situation? Absolutely. God cares about your health. God cares about your family. God cares about your finances. But God is much more concerned with your heart, with your character, with your maturity, with who you're becoming. And he knows that, that painful seasons, difficult situations, they have the ability to transform our lives in a way that really nothing else does. In fact, listen to what James writes, the, the half-brother of Jesus. James chapter one, he says this. He says, to consider it great joy my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience, whenever you face various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith, what does it do? It produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature, 
that you may be complete, that you may be transformed, lacking nothing. But if you're, if you're in a difficult season right now, if you're facing a challenge in life that is just painful and overwhelming and confusing, I mean, my encouragement to you this morning is to not waste the season that you're in. To not just try to blow past the problem and to get through it as quickly as possible. Because every season and every situation, it provides an opportunity to encounter and to experience Jesus in a truly unique way. It's an opportunity to allow Jesus into your mess, to allow Jesus into into your brokenness and the painful parts of your life that nobody else even knows about. It's an opportunity to develop a heart of gratitude, a heart of thanksgiving for God's goodness in your life. And it provides an opportunity for you to anchor your hope, not to an outcome, not to a result, not to the situation turning out a certain way, but to anchor your hope to a person, to anchor your hope to Jesus, who is steady and certain and eternal and unchanging. Every season, every situation, gives us the opportunity, opportunity, gives us the privilege to encounter and experience Jesus.